Hey Swifters, I'm Simon Schofield and this is the Zwiftcast. Coming up on this episode, what type of Zwifter are you? Masters racing on Zwift. Fast, but friendly. Academy graduates Leia races the Giro Rosa. And, of course, Le Tour. Our take on the best three weeks of the year. Well, here we are again, fellas, back on our home turf, but it's July, so the eyes of the cycling world are not on Yorkshire, Melbourne or Michigan, but on France. I absolutely love the tour and I'm going to be rooted to every single stage and we are going to reflect that in in this uh, Zwiftcast and more of that coming up later. But let's say hello properly to les autres Zwiftcasteurs. Bonjour and yo dude, Nathan Guerra. Hey, how's it going, Simon? Uh, it's going very French. And salut and good day, mate, Shay Miller. Good evening, guys. I've uh, got my elbows clearly tucked in beside me and uh, they won't be flying out in any part of this Zwiftcast tonight. <laughs> I'm very pleased to hear that. Um, <laughs> It's been, I mean, that's been discussed and discussed to death. And by the time this podcast comes out, it will be, um, it really will be history. And there'll be another drama to concentrate on. But can I just say for the record, uh, I loved Sagan before this incident. And I still love Sagan after this incident, much as I like have, you know, and I think he's been really hard done by. But there we go. Nathan, have you have you recovered from your Icelandic epic? I mean, you went you went almost dark actually on social media for a, for a little time. Um, was there a big recovery period? There still is. Yeah, I'm surprised at how much it has zapped me in a way that I've never experienced before. What do you think killed you so much? Just then, the, the, I mean, obviously you've got travel, you've got no sleep for more than two days. You've got on and off hard, intense efforts. I mean, do you think it was just a cumulative thing? That I, I, I'm, I'm assuming it's, it's basically fatigue you're suffering from. You know, you there's so many systems that come together to keep the body energized. And uh, you tax them all when you lack sleep, do FTP tests over and over again while lacking sleep, you know, and then are just consuming as many calories you can in uh, whatever form that you can. Uh, rather than high nutrition density. So I think those things all kind of came together. This is the first, I mean, I've done some endurance stuff in the past, you know, six to 12 hour races. This was well beyond that kind of a time zone uh, push. Shed, what's the very tiredest you've ever been as a result of, of cycling? Probably a similar event to what Nathan did. I was doing a 24 hour mountain bike event, but you'd go out and do, they're about an hour lap. Um, and we had a team of six of us and there was a scheduling stuff up in the middle of the night so i thought oh great i'm gonna get four hours sleep excellent i'll jump in the car and like in the, on the back seat and have four hours sleep and uh getting woken up at 3 15 a.m someone banging on the car door saying there's been a schedule stuff up there's been a schedule stuff up shane ride and i remember like waking up and having to get on the bike and being so tired i had a small amount of rest but i felt sick that that's you can't feel your legs you know everything hurts i chugged the red bull and the next thing i know i'm at 190 heart rate in the middle of the forest at 3 30 a.m. and at oh I that's it's a good memory looking back on it at the time I'm like what the hell are we doing it's probably my horror story I I've I've never done one of these 24 hour things or anything that requires long periods of, of of lots of sleep I don't think I could actually I mean I've, I did the 
Transalp race, which I, I wasn't competitive in. I mean, I, my uh, entry into that was on the basis of I really hope I don't come last. Um, that was that was that was my expectation for that. But that was seven mountain stages on the bounds. And the weird thing about that was I had one bad day, but the bad day was in the middle. And towards the end, uh, I actually think I rode myself into it a bit. But the elation of actually thinking I'm actually going to finish this thing, which at one point I thought I wasn't going to finish, took over. And um, I finished elated rather than tired, which was quite curious, really. Shane, it's leaked out. Well, it didn't leak out, actually. Elite were pretty deliberate in putting it out. But New Trainer kind of launched sort of launched, launched in the way things are these days, launched with kind of, you know, uh, like almost bogus, spoofy spy pictures uh, <laughs> of of a new trainer. Um, uh, and let's just deal with the name first. I, I, let me just say, I really like Elite as a company. I think they're a great company. They're great people, uh, really friendly, really good at what they do, apart from when it comes to naming trainers. <laughs> I mean, okay, let's let's have a go at this one. It could be Dorito, it could be Diretto, and of course, it's immediately become Dorito as yes, the chili flavored chips. Chris, we've adopted that. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, so let's just stick with that. So let's talk about the Dorito and 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 wonder why uh, it is that elites are so ambiguous in their choice of the way things can be pronounced maybe maybe it's deliberate who knows maybe it's deliberate like, you know this goes back, back to my theory that the sales and marketing there, guy there is called uh, peter largo or could be lego l-a-g-o so maybe he just likes <laughs> ambiguous sounding names like his own i don't know but anyway you've had a little bit of time with it um really interesting bit of kits two things i think that immediately stood out for me were one pricing which which you can talk about and two accuracy so here we have what appears to be a very good value trader which is highly 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 accurate um that looks so it's going to be a good thing yeah, for sure. Look, I think uh, Elite have really stepped up and I was really happy to receive a pre-production unit because the Llama testing has now been industry standard. So we have one about six to eight weeks prior to them actually hitting the shelf and going through the final production units. Um, so I have to preface everything I say with it's not the final. So we may see something different hit the shelf, but we've been given a unit, which will be very close to the final. Um, but we've had, all had a bit of fun with it. Um, yeah, well, the first thing I did is I put it through my flux testing protocol. Um, look, the claims are 2.5% power accuracy. Now, what that means is it's it, it could be spot on or it could be plus 2.5 mm. or minus 2.5. But I've got a unit that tracks perfectly with my P1 power pedals and uh, they're known to be pretty good. This unit is just brilliant for the power reporting. So the unit that I have, the pre-production, looks really, really good. Response time, uh, the ride oh, feel cool. is pretty good and the price point too, I think this is going direct up against the flux. So, <laughs> mm, interesting stuff. The, the kind of almost universal opinion from the early and, and well-respected testers who've, who've got it is that, that they've really got this right. What we learned, I think, from last year is, okay, can you get it right? And then can you get it out uh, in the right numbers, you know, at the right time? I mean, it, it strikes me a litre a bit better at doing that or I've got a slightly better track record of doing that than tax have. Um, and, and when you looked at the flux last year, it always looked 
kind of behind the pace. You, you, your suspicion was always, I'd be really surprised if this is available by Christmas, despite what, what the company was saying. Um, Elite look as though they may not fall into that trap, but I mean, who knows whether they can ramp up production, but but they, they look ahead of the game, not behind the curve at the moment. Yeah, for sure. And look, this is, I mean, this is the first move we've seen in the game of chess of, you know, the marketing and new products coming out to the field. This is well before Eurobike. We're expecting maybe a few announcements at Eurobike, maybe a few refinements at Eurobike. We're not sure, but they've come out, they've announced it now. They've put it out in the field. Well, out very limited in the field for people who we can talk about it. Um, really interesting move by Elite. And uh, I guess it's now... We'll sit back and wait to see what the other companies do. We'll talk about Eurobike later, actually, Shane. But I do wonder what we're going to say see there this year. I wonder if it's going to be as big as it was last year for trainer announcements. I think we might see a little bit of a settling down in brand new, you know, new trainers. I think we'll see a refinement and a perfection of what they've currently got. Now, from what I've seen of the Dorito so far, it's nothing new and revolutionary, but they've got a good road feel. It's got good accuracy. It's uh, it's a nice setup unit. So I think they're just refining and perfecting, um, yeah, what's currently out there. But either if it's not this year, then next year is going to be huge. There's going to have to be some big shakeups in this market to keep people buying things and to keep people active in the uh, in the indoor space. So we'll see. Not quite sure it'll be this year, but uh, we'll be hanging around for a few years on this uh, topic, I think. My question is whether or not there's going to be broadcasting at Eurobike, and then uh, I think there'll probably be an interest in oh, the uh, bandwidth is there. horrible. The bandwidth oh, is horrible on. there. Oh, no, it oh. really is. We, we struggled. Even Ray last year had about 20 different phones there trying to upload things in his little caravan. Yeah, I mean, they must sort the bandwidth because you, you can't have an exhibition of that nature and that scale these days without expecting people to be wanting to, to live stream. I, I mean, I think people last year, to be honest, were struggling to upload a JPEG, let alone stream. <laughs> upload, you know, let alone stream live. It was, I mean, it was shockingly, shockingly bad on site. I guess for the media who were there to cover the new things as well, the new launches, yeah, for sure. We've got to get this stuff out ASAP. These days, people want zero day, zero second on the ground stuff straight away. So, look, uh, yeah, we'll be there and uh, we'll be bringing everyone as much as we can. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. This is the Swiftcast, the podcast for Zwifters. Okay, let's have our first feature of this uh, this episode. And um, this has arisen from uh, your neck of the woods, actually, Shane, a guy in Melbourne who runs a website who came up with uh, a really interesting and quite amusing way of categorising different Zwifters. So I talked to him about it. Here it is. Welcome to the Zwiftcast to uh, an Australian, Mike Boudry. Hi, Mike. Hi, how's it going? Not bad. Now, the reason I've got you on, actually, is because you've come up with um, a really interesting thing on your website, La Bella Cheetah. Um, for just, just first of all, just, just tell me a little bit about the site. While it is a cycling website, I think it's more a website about people that ride bikes and everything that they like that's associated with riding. That's sort of where this article's come from a little bit. I'm going to call it a taxonomy of Zwifters. You categorised types of Zwifters. So what I'd like to do, Mike, really, is just briefly go through these types that you identified, and I'm sure listeners will be uh, automatically associating them, themselves perhaps with a, with a particular type. Let's, let's start with your first category, which is the diehard. This is uh, what many Zwifters probably aspire to be, or maybe don't aspire to be, but suddenly find themselves there after after getting getting really into it of Wahoo or 
tax or whatever other type of choice um, trainer you have, it's going to definitely be the most expensive one possible. It's likely that you'll have a ginormous TV that is dedicated to uh, Zwift, very fast and expensive road bike attached to your setup. It very, very rarely leaves the trainer or the house. They're someone that no longer really needs jerseys in their cycling collection because they're um, more often than not just with, with the nicks on. <laughs> now, there was, there was one aspect of the Die Hard I found particularly interesting triathletes you better tell me about that Zwift seems like a perfect place for them to um, add to their just repertoire of never-ending statistics <laughs> that it seems to be able to pump out for you they were sort of they might be people that are particularly susceptible to this <laughs> well I, I am going to express no view whatever about triathletes so that, let's just draw a veil over that one there Anyway, let's move on. Uh, let's move on to your second type in the taxonomy of Zwifters, and that's the secret Zwifter. I mean, these, these are all sort of from my personal experience. I have a morning group that, of about 30 or 40 people that I ride with most mornings of the week, and I just sort of observed that some were having these just massive gains in performance with very little explanation, and I just couldn't quite work out why I was having to seem to work harder and harder to hang on to their wheels. And um, so I just began to notice just little things slipping out in their social media, uh, the photo of their lounge room, and you could just sort of see a bit of a bikes sort of hidden in the corner sort of set up on some sort of uh, trainer and they were very very quiet about it when you sort of spoke to them on the road one of the characteristics you uh, you outlined of the secret zwifter which i thought was funny was salt marks close to their tv uh, it's sort of the incrim- incriminating evidence isn't it more than anything else it's just something that you'd see on a crime uh, program that lick the carpet and go something's been going on here yeah I know, I know a few, let me tell you. I might expose them one day. Um, moving on to the third group, which I, I think is possibly possibly slightly related. This is the denier. Uh, so this is people who openly proclaim their dislike of stationary trainers. Yeah, but uh, invest in one and, and, and go the whole hog. I hate to say it, but this is probably where I'm finding myself sitting right now. It's not a dislike of Zwift or training or I think just I've always found it incredibly boring and I've had this sort of preconceived idea that I won't like sitting on a trainer until I actually do. (laughs) And then I enjoy it for the time that I'm riding and then after I think I'm not sure if I did enjoy that and then up to when I do it again, I don't know why I'm doing this and then I enjoy it again. It's it's interesting that one, isn't it? I mean, are are you a denier to yourself or a denier to the outside world? I guess a denier to the outside world would make you a secret Zwifter, whereas a a denier to yourself is probably the, the pure denier. Yeah, I think I do. Yeah, it's, I suppose the denier and the uh, the secret can the secrets with there can uh, definitely work together. Your last one, your last one, you called the true Zwifter slash the the non cyclist. Now, th- th- I think this is the most subtle one, uh, Mike. So, uh, uh, explain the characteristics of this group. I think to call them probably the non-cyclist is a little bit unfair, but this is someone that spends the vast majority of their time riding their bike on Zwift and a very small percentage actually out on the roads. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just an observation. I think it's sort of spawning a whole new subcategory of cycling, uh, sort of a, a new discipline almost, which I think is really quite, really quite interesting. And um, I sort of jokingly said in the article that I think we'll see Zwift races tell and I sort of 
then I think someone commented, well, they already are. And I, the events that I've been to, uh, you know, cycle clubs and things around the place where they've set up four or five Zwift bikes and had competitions going, it's certainly a brilliant way of watching cycling and having a great time. But those of us who've taken an unhealthy interest in the development of Zwift ha- have seen that, as you said, really, almost a completely new category of cycling, which is... Uh, People who are, you know, completely renounce the outdoors and, and, and all the things we associate with cycling, but they're still cyclists in a way because they're moving their feet and legs in a way that turns pedals. It is interesting to see how that's going to develop. So those are your four groups. Um, I will ask you the question. You remain, you think, a denier. Is, is that right? I'm definitely guilty of secret training. I, I love getting on Zwift at the right times. And I think it's an absolutely amazing tool. And as someone who came into it sort of with a bit of a preconceived idea that I'm not sure I'm going to like this because I like riding my bike outside so much, I am a bit in denial of how much I actually enjoy it. The, the moment for me was when I was on group ride or a race and I was riding and I suddenly had that moment when I was leaning as I was going into the corners and I thought, I'm there. Well, listen, it's a very amusing list. It's been very entertaining to talk to you about it. And uh, I think there's uh, there's many a true word within that article and I'm sure any Zwifter who reads it would, um, there's certainly going to be elements of self-recognition going on. Thanks very much for explaining it to, to us here on the Zwiftcast. Pleasure to talk to you and thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thanks very much, Simon. It's a pleasure. Right on! And just a quick reminder, Mike's website is La Velocita, L-A-V-E-L-O-C-I-T-A dot C-C. Well, clearly, guys, none of us can say we're secret Swifters. <laughs> Uh, I think probably the rest of the world has got us pretty much nailed as diehard Swifters. I think it would be it'd be tough to uh, tough to suggest we're we're anything else. Shane, out of those categories, which one do you think is the biggest? Oh, look, it, it, oh, I could go through my stats, I guess, and my analytics, and so I, I know it's the casual Swifter who just jumps on every now and then. So it's sort of the you know crams in the time. I'd like to believe it's the hardcore Swifter is the biggest because that's what I am, and that's what it, my, my my circle of people are. We're all hardcore Zwifters, aren't we? But Nathan, I think you said this before, and a couple of people at the company during the, all those interviews I did with Zwift Insiders kind of hinted at this. That the very biggest group of Zwifters may not be the diehards and the high co- hardcores. It may just be people who are jumping on and kind of cruising around at 1.5 or under 2 watts a, a kilo and are doing it for fitness, not in that kind of obsessive way that some others do. This is a tough one. The, you know, I love the, I love the article. Okay. It's a great article, but I think it mixes a lot of things up in categories. And I find myself, you know, the diehard, but then I see some things within the diehard description that I'm kind of like, I don't really jive with that at all. Actually. Like, I, I feel like I'm this totally other category that wouldn't necessarily call a diehard. It's uh, just a, it's something I use on a daily basis, but it's almost um, that I'm really passionate about at times, but then at other times it's in the background. And I, I maybe I like am, uh, the digital Zwift. I, I've become the Tron Zwift. I don't know. Like I'm in Zwift. <laughs> I don't know what to call myself. And I think that's the pull from it is that there's a little bit of a, uh, truth that stings us a little bit about it and a laugh to have with it. So, 
Exactly, yeah. Salt marks near the TV was the one that got me, actually, as, as I said, said in that piece. OK, listen, fellas, we could put it off no longer. Let's talk about the tour. I mean, I know it's not Swifty, but, you know, everybody loves the tour. Uh, me in particular. It's just, for me, it's the best three weeks of the year. It's fantastic. Never without drama, French countryside, pictures you know uh, lots of cycling chat it's i just love the tour i love the tour um and i thought actually it would be just really interesting seeing as we are where we are uh shane in australia and, and you over in the states ju- just to kind of give the listeners a bit of an insight into how the tour is covered in our respective countries and maybe how we watch it um, I mean, I must say, here in the UK, we are completely spoiled. Um, we've got a choice of two broadcasters, each of which will give the whole stage in its entirety, you know, from the départ fictif. I mean, we're even getting the rollout now and, and, and Christian dropping his flag every single day. Um, now, the interesting thing about that is... That's an ASO decision. This is the first time ever, as far as I can establish, that the tour has been covered every stage right from the start. And and when you look at it, you do wonder why that's not happened in the past. But anyway, so we've got two broadcasters, um, Eurosport, which is a pay service, and there's a free-to-air service called ITV4. Um, I'll state my preference right here, which at the moment, despite the fact that I watch Eurosport a lot, I watched all the Giro on Eurosport, I'll watch most of the classics on Eurosport, um, I wouldn't touch Eurosport with a barge pole with an extension on it uh, for their tour coverage because I cannot abide the commentator. Uh, Carlton Kirby. I, I mean, I really, really shouldn't get going on this because I, I, I can get quite passionate, but he takes roughly 1.3 microseconds to get so far under my skin that I want to beat myself with a, with, a, with some up kind Carlton of Kirby now. You know, what is bunch God? of sticks or something. Oh, I, he's just off. I mean, oh, and anyway, don't get me going. Just do not get me going. I mean, he's he doesn't know anything about cycling. He gets the vocabulary wrong. He makes terrible jokes. I, I mean, he, oh, anyway, anyway, that, I've said enough. I've said enough in a public place. I've said enough. He's blocked me on Twitter. Actually. Um, not that I said no. He has actually. Well, he routinely blocks anybody who says he's not the best commentator in the world. He routinely blocks them on Twitter. Uh, so yeah, not not that you're sensitive or anything, Carlson. But anyway, um, the commentary on ITV4 has Ned Bolting or Bolting and David Miller, the ex the ex rider, and I have to say they're terrific together. Really, really, really good together. They've only just replaced uh, Phil and Paul, who were doing the commentary in the UK up until not this tour, but the tour before, and even though there were a couple of kind of protests about where a Phil and Paul last year, um, Ned and, and David Miller have, 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 have stepped into their shoes and I think are doing an absolutely terrific job. Really, really, really good job. Um, there's been a bit of... Uh, Jane, let's let's talk about Australia, but I think segueing into that, you... you your no, main no, Phil and Paul have been out the back for a while now. Well, last year they were only doing the last 50Ks, I think, or the last hour or two. Uh, we had both Matthew Keenan and Robbie McEwen, the green jersey winning Robbie McEwen, um, on there doing a sort of a, a co 
commentary and it was brilliant. Matthew Keenan uh, is an Aussie, so he mispronounces everything like a true Aussie, which is brilliant. We understand him completely. Uh, but he is brilliant. His cycling knowledge is amazing. And then you've got Robbie sort of biting at his heels all the time from the racer perspective, from the fighter perspective. You can tell uh, he's a, uh, Robbie's a, an ex-sprinter, so just the way he comes across is knowledgeable mm. in what's happening in the race and it's competitive, his commentary in what's going on. He has a real understanding. So those two guys are now doing the full coverage that we're getting with SBS, our national broadcaster here, and SBS are doing a brilliant job. We, we're getting a lot of the stages in full. Yeah. So last night we saw Tommy Vukler taking off from the front, trying to get in the break and then pouring stuff all over his face and being Tommy Vukler. So we saw that from the start. We saw it being established and that's a, a real brilliant part of the sport that as a, as a racer you are part of you know establishing a break or getting into the early breakaways and things like that but as a viewer you never really see that so it's really good to be exposed to all of that so our coverage is brilliant we are loving it so that that's on your free to air national broadcaster yeah it is yep it's yeah. sbs who are also doing um they do a lot of um on the web stuff as well they're doing a podcast i think which is even sponsored by zwift um they're doing um oh there's just extra content all the time there's replays all throughout the day i think there's about four replays throughout the day so you turn on sbs which have multiple channels now as well here with our digital service and uh it's just it's just to a fever we are absolutely loving it the aussies just soak it up and uh look if you can cut this between you know now and the finish it's been great to see richie port win Oh, hang on, let's re-record that. <laughs> Rob, Richie Port was robbed. Richie Port was out. He should have won the tour. Or, uh, <laughs> well, so go I mean, with either the, of those. The reason I wanted to talk actually about coverage is, is that, you know, in this forum, it's really difficult to talk about who's ahead and who's, who's, who's behind and who looks good and who looks doesn't, who mm. doesn't. Um, what time of day does it occur for you if you want to watch it live, Shane? Mm, see, there's the problem. We are on the other side of the world, both yeah. on the other side and underneath. So it's cold here. Uh, racing starts, if it's live, it's about 8.30 p.m. and finishes at about 2 a.m. Okay. And so that's in Melbourne time, but Australia is a big place. So Australia has the other side of Australia known as Western Australia, um, which is in a better time zone. It's two hours behind, which is two hours closer to the tour. Um, and we have tickets booked to Perth for next week. So we're going to there for a week and a half to Perth so we can watch the tour, which starts at about 7.30 at night and finishes at about 11.30 at night. Yeah, um, yeah. Much better times to watch things. And it's a bit more sunnier in Perth this time of year as well. Yeah, but, but basically you're pretty well served. It's easy to access. You've got good commentators. Yes. You've got yes. extensive coverage. Um, I get the sense, Nathan, that in America, and you know, obviously America's a huge place with an awful lot of media, but, but you know, for the average cycling fan, that the tour's not quite so easy to access. Am I, am I right or wrong about that? A while ago, it used to be that way. NBC's done a pretty good job of picking up coverage multiple times a day throughout the day. Uh, you can't, you have to go online if you want to get really into something that's not completely prepackaged for you in ways that you're missing things and getting lots of commercials involved in ways that you're like, well, why did that get cut here or there yeah. and whatever may yeah. be happening? Uh, so the access is a little bit trickier, but uh, for me, it's extremely tricky. We are philosophically cable cutters, like to the point that I will have a conversation with someone trying to sell me cable about 
why, uh, in the big scheme of things, no one should ever, ever buy it and invest in it any longer and how we're all being ripped off by the man. Um, so, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, but that, but that's, that, that's quite, co- that's quite common in the States, isn't it? Actually, that, that, I mean, uh, I think we call you guys cord yeah, cutters, cord cutters, cable yeah. cutters, but, but this is, I mean, I mean, cable previously has had a pretty dominant position as 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 the not free to air stuff, uh, and that that is being challenged, I think, by by what people call cord, cord cutting. But but let's just talk about NBC's coverage. So is that that that's very very chopped up and prepackaged? They they would never do anything like stick two commentators on to talk about 189 men riding through the French countryside and let it go and maybe throw in an advert every. No, it's or so. much more like watching the Super Bowl for sure. Uh, you you get a lot of right. commercial content coming through continually interrupting uh, the action. It is Phil and uh, Paul mostly, and then they do bring in uh, Bob is in there. Uh, Bob rolls in there as well. Um, so yeah, I usually do buy a pass. I sent an email two days ago saying I'm not buying a pass today. We could talk about why, but uh... <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I I am a highly selective consumer of media. Except when it comes to the tour, when, when when I will just you know, kind of almost drop everything to watch it. it for me, it, it it just really is the best three weeks of the year. It's just it you know it never fails to produce amazing amazing drama. There's another grand tour going on which has not been without drama, and particularly for Zwifters, and particularly for Zwifters who followed the story of. Leah Thorvalson, the winner of Swift Academy. Now, she started the women's uh, Giro Rosa event, which is the pretty much the flagship event, I think, in women's bike racing. It's nine stages, I believe. Uh, I mean, I was going to say it's the women's equivalent of the tour. It's not quite that, but it's it's not far off. Um, and it was Leah's first world tour level race. Um, and it was a massive honour for her to be selected for the Canningstram team. Uh, and I know there's a massive wellspring of, of support behind Leia, particularly from me. I, I, having been quite close to the story, quite close to Leia, seen some of the stuff behind the scenes, which I've actually not reported on that she's had to deal with. I, I'm going to put my cards on the table. I'm a big supporter of Leia. I think what she's gone through is incredible in, in, in terms of kind of opposition and even a hostility from places you might not have expected it. But anyway, she 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 started um obviously with some trepidation, the Giro Rosa. And and one of the stages she absolutely poured her heart out about how well difficult, I mean just terribly, terribly, terribly difficult it was for her to to make sense of that stage. And and I'd urge anyone to read it, really, because it, it, it's, I mean, it's pure drama. It's pure human sporting drama. And, and Leia does not hold back on how she feels about things and what goes on during the races, particularly at the back of the pack when there's no TV cameras around. Really interesting stuff. Um, so I'm not going to read much of it, but I'm going to read a couple of excerpts of, of what Leia said. Um, this is... Uh, she, she, she'd fallen back. She'd been dropped by the pack. And she says... 
The cars in the convoy were trying to encourage me to get close to their bumper to help me, but they were going so fast and I was already full gas and couldn't go any faster. Then I started hyperventilating and crying because I was trying so hard and it wasn't enough. Uh, but Leah kept at it and she did confess that later in the stage she held onto a vehicle after the, after the driver encouraged her to, to, to grab on. And again, she says in this post, Dumb idea, I crashed. Then I lost the group I'd been with because I was on the ground. I spent the next 15 to 20k chasing them down with the help of a police bike, um, police motorbike. Rode in the final 15 to 20k with them. Fortunately, the time cuts for the Giro are so generous, so I'm still in the race and will start again tomorrow. I just have to keep learning and keep moving forward. Um, Nathan, I'm, I'm sure, and Shane, I'm sure you've both read the whole post. You have to feel for it, Nathan. That I mean, that post was so raw. Yeah, it uh, it sounded like a hard day on the bike. Those are really difficult to keep pushing through on too. And I applaud and completely, um, you know, have a a huge amount of respect for her pushing through and making it to the end. Uh, and 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 having a hopeful look forward still too. That takes a lot when you're completely drained and, uh, finding those, those little bits of hope to keep on going through and push through and, uh, keep turning the pedals is, is very difficult. And what am I doing? I've been in those situations plenty of times where my expectations were not met. Uh, in my performance. And I'm asking myself, why am I doing this? And uh, what am I doing? And I have a feeling those might have been a couple of the things going through. And then you push through and you find out why later. And I I believe she, she, she finds those again and again and again, though. Shane, I mean, we, we've talked about this privately, and I'm not going to say anything different on the podcast than I've said to you privately, which is I, I am a big, big supporter of the Zwift Academy scheme. But I do think that this post has has perhaps revealed just how incredibly difficult it is to join a cycling team with none of the shared history that the other members have got and none of the shared experience. Um, uh, I mean, just to finish the story on the Giro Rosso, uh, uh, Leia's now been pulled out. Actually. She was pulled out about two or three stages after that one where she was obviously suffering so hard. Um, I mean, Eric has said that a men's academy scheme is coming. Do you think there's going to be a need to, to tweak it severely? Or do you think there's such a huge difference between women's racing and men's racing that the tweaks might happen naturally? Do you think an, an experience that, that Leia posted that was so raw and so obviously hard for her damages the the academy scheme what do you think yeah for sure look that was that was a really emotional read being a racer myself i've been in positions where i've been out the back and been no good and had no good legs where and whereas your teammates are winning stages you're like wow like you're sort of questioning yourself i really hope zwift have in their plan in the program um, a catch net at the end of the year for a debrief a, a, a i guess a assistance post this because she's given up a lot she gave up her job Obviously, she's moved overseas for a long periods of time. There needs to be, a, I guess, 
uh, you know, post-traumatic stress syndrome, I guess. You've got to watch that because I'm, I'm, I'm serious about that as well because if you're thrown to the deep end, you immerse yourself in something, you come back and the last thing I'd want to see is the new Zwift Academy launched and everybody being celebrating and all the marketing of that and how great it all is. But you've got a broken soul on the side of the road who didn't make didn't make it, but tried. I mean, it's a great experience to be in it. Like that's an amazing experience. But that's easy to say that she's lived it, she's breathed it, she's bled, she's broken on the side of the road. It's just I really feel for her emotionally. I just want to give her a hug at the moment. I think we all do. Um, I just and that's one thing I guess. That's the difference between marketing and real lives. Oh, I'm even emotional thinking about like where she's at at the moment and how things are going for her. But I mean, she's a strong woman. It's it's um it's been great to follow the year along, and uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where we go this year with both the men's and the women's academies. There's two things I take away from this right here as learning: what's the end game, and uh, what's the proving ground. Those two things. Uh, the proving ground for a qualification uh, might need to be analyzed rather than a team camp. Maybe there's some way that Ziv can partner with some actual racing alongside uh, the uh, end game for the athletes that are going after the contract and that the questions up front about the end game uh, are very uh, direct, you know, and uh, and what they're after, as well as maybe some of the parameters for that. Well, I mean, I focused on on that post because it it, it was just so kind of grabby and eye catching. But I mean, there have been other posts, and, and particularly she, she's done a very reflective one actually after she she was eventually taken out of the Giro Rosa, and and there were lots and lots of positive things in there. So you know, I don't think we need to treat Leia as a, a kind of basket case or or as an object of pity and sympathy because I think she's got tons and tons and tons out of this year. But I, but as you said, Shane, a really, really, really good point. You know, Zwift are to some extent messing with people's lives here. Uh, you know, and, and and it's a hard, hard sport. Um, I'm sure they're they're learning these lessons and, and and thinking hard about how they how they tweak the programs to take account of these things. I just want to finish off with with this. Um, I don't know if if you two guys or any listeners read cycling books. I mean, there's, there's not a lot out there. Not all of them are, are, are good, but there are the ones that are, are good can be really outstanding. And I read a absolutely terrific book by Charlie uh, Vergalius, who's a he's now a DS actually, but he's a career domestic. Um, and in the last chapter, he talks about one race, and I think it was the first time in his in his entire career that he was poised to win a stage because he it, it spent his entire career in the support of other riders as a, a domestic, and through some kind of freak circumstance, he got he got the chance to win a stage, and and he was he was doing that thing, talking to himself in his head, and he relates it in the book about how great it was going to be to to win a stage. And then he was caught with 100 metres to go before the line after some massive long breakaway to win the first stage of his career. And he, he said, um, you know, he summed it up in the book. I remember it very clearly. He said, cycling, it's no effing fairy tale. Never a true word spoken. Okay, let's move on, Uh, but sticking with racing. One of the best new race series to have been launched on Zwift in recent weeks has just drawn to a close. Um, It's Zwift Masters Racing, and here's its principal, Chris O'Hearn, to tell us a little bit more about it. Welcome to the Zwiftcast to Chris O'Hearn. Chris has been on before when we talked memorably, actually, about your previous idea, Chris, which... 
I have to say, I'm beginning to come round to now, but let's not rehearse that one again. That, that, but that, <laughs> that, that was that you did propose a, a rating system for, for group rides, which, which didn't really fly, but, but we appreciated the motives behind it. You're not the only one who's had second thoughts about that, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Now. Yeah, well, that, I mean, the reason you're on now is because you're, you're the prime force behind another actually terrific community initiative, which is the Zwift Masters Racing Series. Um, now, um, I'm going to let you describe it uh, and tell us all about it and, and, and give it a bit of wider coverage, which I think it really deserves. But this is basically racing for old people, isn't it, Chris? Not quite old people. I mean, we start at 30, so anyone over 30 is welcome to join. And the key difference isn't so much the age, it's that it's not watts per kilogram based. It, it's, it is age group based, but your watts per kilogram have nothing to do with it. So you enter your age category and you're racing your peers in five-year bands from 30 through to, I think our oldest is um, is 77, if I remember correctly. Gosh. And, and I mean, that that's the reason I've got you on, actually, because it's a very distinctive race series. It, it is, as you say, racing against your your peers in, in age terms. What, what you've now, I think, just completed a, a full series. What, what have been you, your observations, Chris, about how that changes racing or, or, or makes this series particularly distinctive? Yeah, I think two things um, sort of based on feedback from the people who've taken part. I mean, one is the fact that it's a series. Um, a lot of people have really got into that, you know, because they're seeing the same people every week. You know, rivalries develop over time. There's a, a points um, sort of series that goes on. So um, that makes a, a big difference. Um, the other thing, obviously, is, is tactically in the races. So, you know, if you've got a breakaway or you're in a group and there's somebody who's in your age group, you're looking at them and you're thinking, am I going to drop them? On the other hand, if you're in a group and there's nobody in your age category, you're thinking, great, all I've got to do is sit on here and, and stay with this group and I'll, you know, I'll win my age category. So it really does change the, the tactics of the racing. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I can see that. Where, where is the racing fiercest? Uh, I mean, I know, you, I know you're a stats guy, so I'm sure you will have been looking at uh, who, how many races you've had in each category and, and the kind of nature of the racing in each age band. What, yeah. what, again, what are your observations there? Um, it's been quite, um, well, I mean, one thing I've been surprised by is the number of people, um, in the older categories. So G, which is 60, 60 plus is one of the biggest categories, um, in terms of registrations and, and numbers racing, uh, but there's been a real mix of ability. So we've got one G racer who is probably the best out and out racer we've had over all of them. And, you know, there are some some pretty good races in sort of the 40s and so on. So um, it really is no bar to um, to competition. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think the inaugural series has run probably over over one of the quieter times in Swift racing over the northern hemisphere summer, um, probably. A, a, a good decision on your part because I know administratively for you this is not the easiest of tasks is it I mean it, it, not, it, not only have you got registration and, and validation to an extent but you've also got a relatively complex point system does does it take up a lot of your time uh, it, it does actually yeah. and 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 certainly for the next series which which will probably start in September um uh I'll we'll probably simplify the the points system um but yeah, I mean, you mentioned the registration and, and validation, and that's that's a really important part. That's not going to go away. You can't automate that. But 
but I think it's actually a really important part of the master series that it isn't just turn up, tell us your, you know, 50 or whatever. Um, people have to register online. Um, it's not hard, but there's an online form to fill in and then send a copy of their, uh, an ID. Like, you know, we ask a race license is perfect, but if not, I've had passports, driver's license, I've even had a pension statement. So um, <laughs> they send it. Well, that's, that's a very appropriate form of validation for, for master's racing. Indeed. Yeah. And we've, you know, validate that. And I mean, it's not, um, you know, obviously I, I still can't be a hundred percent, but I think the fact that people have to go through that process also helps eliminate what we might um, nicely call sort of your casual, casual cheater or casual doper or whatever you mm. call it. Yeah. Age um, doper. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's easier ways to win races than having to register and send an email and that sort of stuff. So I think it actually makes the series pretty clean as well. Um, obviously, it sounds like you're you're going to continue. Um, I, I expect you're probably going to see much larger fields as well. I mean, if people were thinking of taking part in, in this Masters series, what, what do you think is the single most appealing reason for joining this race series rather than any of the many others on Swift? I think it's the tactics, really. It's just it's just a completely different way of racing that you have to race against the people who are in your, your age group. It's not just an out and out who's the strongest. It really adds another sort of level. It's sort of a couple of several dimensions to the racing. Excellent. Okay, well, it's another terrific community initiative. Um, I sadly have not yet managed to pluck up the courage to enter, but I definitely will be in the uh, in in the Zwift Peak season. Um, and and but but I've noticed that, that, that there's a real buzz about it. So um, thanks, Chris, for everything you've done to you know further the cause of Zwift racing even more. Um, if people want a really simple place to go to to find out more about Masters Racing, what do they do? Uh, there's a Zwift Masters Facebook page. That's probably the best place to start. Excellent. Well done with it, Chris. Look forward to uh, continued success and thanks for coming on to talk about it. Cheers. Shane, characterise this series actually um, by massive support and kind of affection and friendliness from everybody who's taken part. Um, I don't know whether that's a characteristic of Masters Racing. I always thought Masters Racing was more cutthroat and vicious than ordinary racing. It can be for sure. But no, I love it. I, I do support Masters Racing and I have in uh, in real life as well. Ever since I turned 30, uh, I raced the Masters 1 category across a lot of disciplines and into Masters 2. Um, it just gives people a little bit more of a, a chance to be, I guess, the star of, the, of their own little group for a while, compete against their peers. You'll always have outliers as well. So there's going to be people who are very, very quick but it just gives people a chance to compete in their own little environment, in their own little tribe of uh, age group, I guess. So, no, I'm all for it. And, I, I, yeah, I really love what Chris has set up. Yeah, yeah. No, he's done a really good job on that, Chris, actually. There's a, there's a really nice atmosphere around that series as well. If you look at the social media around it, there's a, a really terrific um, kind of supportive and friendly and, and welcoming atmosphere around it. And really interesting, Nathan, to say that so many races in the 50s and 60s. Yeah, I think it's extremely... Uh which is interesting. I, it's it seemed, it's been an extremely attractive platform for, it seems like, uh, around that age group for a lot of different reasons. I think uh, safety time as well as having uh, the ability to jump on with a high-end setup. Uh, what, what I also see around the organizers that are were a precursor to the Masters is that I see ZHR as a tag in there. And you say it's a very happy group and a, a group that really gets along well. 
and has nothing but uh, a lot of positivity around it. And I think Zwift Handicap Racing, uh, which is all about creating a handicap amongst all of the racers so that everybody's kind of evened out so that everyone's racing around the same level. That's what ZHR was all about, has caused a much more, a much stronger camaraderie around the racing and everybody just kind of there for the experience of pushing each other. Uh, I think that that might have some of the influences that the organizers are really doing a good job in caring for the interests of the competitors. Yeah, yeah. And and, and the competitors have got a, a part to play themselves. I mean, if you enter a race series, and I think Chris stressed the point series here, I think that brings a bit of a greater responsibility actually because you're committing to doing something week after week and you're probably committing to racing with the same people so I think that helps to generate this slightly more positive atmosphere around um, racing than you can oh what should we say sometimes see elsewhere (laughs) (laughs) well there's also another series going on though just to just to maybe reflect off where there's a little bit of tensions going on though too where uh there's other so that's you know there be specific uh, be specific nathan you know be specific (laughs) there was a long conversation on my uh personal stream the other day between me and a few australians on the ecrit series and uh some of the uh you know there's things on the line there that are going on and people are being a little bit vocal about maybe why do we have people from other countries involved or why, you know, or, or other, kind, you know, whatever it might be, because there's something on the line in a series of coming back over and over again. So, um, yeah, yeah. Well, well, I mean, I've seen quite a lot of kind of Z power trash talk around that series as well. And, and, and Shane um, uh, Vaughn has reported that it's not a completely happy ship around the women's bit of that series either that there does seem to have been a bit of tension around this um i mean it's it's your part of the forest shane what's what's going on yeah for sure look i'm a big part of women's cycling or a big sorry big part of women's being a supporter actually being a supporter is being part of cycling yeah for women's cycling so von races quite a bit she's raced outdoors a lot for a national team as well now she's racing a bit indoors and she's part of the e-crit series she was really pumped for it and uh it gives her a reason to get on the bike and go hard every week and unfortunately the points aren't being tallied up so she's done probably six or seven races now and she's sitting on zero points so there's something up there. I've raised it a few times, but I think I'm not loud enough. So I might have to scream a little harder, um, but we definitely need that because there was a post up there as well saying that, look, uh, a, a lady from Queensland who I know as well, she said, look, I did one race, but it's, it didn't, you know, wasn't part of the series and it didn't add up my point. So I won't be coming back. And that's the last thing we need. That's the worst possible scenario. We've gotten someone in racing, enjoying the race, but then there was no end game. There's no result of the race itself. So there was no uh, reason for it to come back and do it, which uh, it kills me. So hopefully we can get that sorted. And uh, I guess at the end of the day, what we need to do is make sure that what's being delivered is what was promised at the start. We're not asking for anything more. We're not asking for any changes in the system. We're just asking for what was promised at the start to be delivered throughout the series. Absolutely fair point. And even more so with the series, actually, because with the one-off race and okay, there's some best off of the results. You can think, oh, well, okay, it was fine. I had a good workout. But if you committed to the series... And, and particularly you've done two or three races and you think, well, the, the, the results might come in and I am building points up and then, then they don't happen. I can see how that could be demoralising and, and pretty destructive for the, for the series and, and participation, actually. So that, it, it's a bit worrying to hear that. Let's hope if somebody hears this, then maybe something that can be 
done about it. And in fact, somebody did hear it, and I'm updating the Zwiftcast right now to reflect that. Glenn Knight, um, an old friend of the Zwiftcast actually, and Mr. Results on Zwift, got in touch to say that they are aware of the issue with the ladies' points and they're working hard to solve it. Um, they hope to have a solution very soon. Our ladies should continue to race, and when they have the issues sorted out, the points will be updated to reflect past races. So don't stop racing. Um, he goes on to tell us that there's actually no way to prevent other riders from other countries other than Australia entering. But at the beginning of the series, it was said that only Australian riders would gain points, and that's still the case. Um, this series is run by KISS and follows KISS rules, so any rider over 3.99 watts per kilo does have to have a heart rate monitor, a reliable power source, um, and that's a smart trainer or a power meter, to qualify for points. Again, Glenn says they can't prevent riders from entering the race who don't have those things, but they won't be included in the results. So thanks for getting in touch with that, Glenn. Really glad to clarify it. And the message is, keep racing. You won't be losing your points. Right on! Um, Okay, let's move on uh, to the latest in my series of interviews with Zwift Insiders. Uh, This is one of the guys who actually creates Zwift. He's a 3D artist And what that means is he actually draws our worlds. So let's hear from him. Uh, My name is Tony Uregas, and I am a lead 3D artist. What's your background? Where were you before Zwift? Before Zwift, I was at a game company. Uh, I was a character artist. What I did there was just concept from concept to finish creating characters and then doing the 3D models, painting the texture for them, rigging them and animating them as well. How long, approximately, does it take to create a mile of new road in Watopia, let's say? Well, we can create road relatively easy with, uh, with the tools that we have. A mile, probably not that long. Maybe a day. We can make a mile of road a day. Okay, so if a mile of road only takes a day, and I'm asking this in very simplistic terms, because I know you're going to explain how terribly complex it is, why don't we get loads of new pavement all the time? Create a mile of road is easy, but decorating around it, creating the environment that that road lives on, that takes time. Building the assets, plants, animals, buildings, the terrain, sculpting terrain around it, it it takes quite a bit of time um, because everything is done by hand. Do you think the kind of fantasy island setting of Watopia is more appropriate to the game or more engaging for the users than the, should we say, slightly less visually exciting execution of something like Richmond? I like both. Um, I like that Watopia is our own island that we can throw a volcano in or throw a mountain range in. It's our own place. It's kind of like the best of. So I think Watopia has a lot to offer there. But I also think that the real world courses offer its own unique set of enticement, I guess. I like them both. If I had to work on one, Watopia is more exciting as because lava, right? <laughs> Get to make lava. But the cities are unique too. You can make buses, you know, bridges stuff like that it's 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 kind of nice to try to replicate real world courses do you approve of rain (laughs) i i do like the rain i like the moodiness that it brings 
maybe we might look at how often it rains, but I I think it's a nice change up. The rain came because of London, but we put it in Watopia as a test and uh, it kind of brings out this broodiness that that's nice every now and then. It, do you think there's scope for, for kind of more weather in, in Watopia or, or any of the worlds? I think there is. I think the further we go on, the more we develop, I think we can add more effects. Um, maybe leaves blowing in the wind or dust storm. I think somebody threw out a tornado earlier this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I, that would be nuts, right? I've asked everybody this because, you know, the community is such a big part of what Zwift is. Do you take account of what the community says? Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, always, it's almost daily. You look online and you see kind of what people are talking about, what kind of like what the temperature of the water is, especially after you just release something like you want to you want to see what people think. Right. There's that initial wave of excitement, like new stuff. It it's not just a product. It's us like we're putting ourselves into this spending hours in this world like it's it's kind of it's a part of us so you know taking the good with the bad it's it definitely has an effect um, with both negative feedback and positive feedback do you think that the look of the swift worlds as we see them now you know is that is there going to be a big step change ever or is it now just a question of refining and finessing and making the worlds we've got now as good as they possibly can be i don't think that there would be a huge change at the moment like going from the look we have now to minecraft or anything like that i don't think that there will be that big of a change i think it's more along the lines of adding optimizing and refining the look that we have. I mean, some of us remember Jarvis, and if you look in the deeper reaches of the web, you can still see, you can still see Jarvis. Um, mm. And we often get conflicting reports from different people as to whether it is ever possible to have Jarvis return. Do, do you have an answer on that? The ideas come up, like, from from the from uh, our users. And we throw the idea around every now and then. Um, I'm not exactly sure if it will happen. I can't say either or. Anything is possible. We can do anything in Swift. Okay, well that is interesting because we have heard before, I think, I don't know how good the source is, but we have heard before that Jarvis, you know, has been consigned to a place where it could never be brought back from. Are you saying that's not quite the case? Mm, well, I'm not the one that would make that decision, I guess, is, is what I can say. But it would be exciting to see, to bring Jarvis back. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Very, you. uh, very, very interesting. Thank you very much. Uh, chaps, we have talked about this before, uh, and I don't know whether we bore people banging on about this, because it probably affects about 3% of people who currently Swift. But I, I couldn't resist the the the... the raising the prospects of will we ever see the return of Jarvis I mean and he didn't rule it out interestingly enough Nathan is this just silly nostalgia for old timers or is there really you know is there really a thing here that that it will be nice to see Jarvis back 
I think that a uh, little conversation we had earlier about shorter rides uh, being really popular on Zwift and just the ability to jump on a really short course is, I mean, I think it'd be, I think it'd be a popular place to ride actually. Uh, it's a cool little uh, kicker followed by a downhill. I really enjoyed that actually mm. process yeah, of too. seeing how close other people were continually, like this little crit course. And once we get to the place where we're able to select multiple uh, courses when we have, uh, you know, the overpopulation starts to come up and that I think that's actually already been on the minds of maybe some Ed Zwift that, okay, we need to start opening up more courses. I think it'd be a cool option. Uh, now, John, John straight up told me that Jarvis itself and its original rendition is not possible to bring back. Uh, because of the way that the world itself was live, that it was a, a completely different way of expressing graphics on a screen uh, in the in, in its nuts and bolts. Now, whether or not they can now, it sounded like their ability to create a mile of road and then maybe put the artwork that they already have done in some way or form of old Jarvis would be very quick. And so I think what he was getting at was that. Well, yeah, we could recreate Jarvis pretty quickly. It just couldn't be in the form or the way that it was. They can't. It's just not loadable from somewhere. Very like, oh, here you go. We have Jarvis stored up in a background somewhere. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. They can't just press the Jarvis button. But but bringing, you know, <laughs> we've always. I was wondering about that. Like John, why don't you just press? Yeah, that's yeah, kind of like how yeah. I said it to. Why aren't we pressing the Jarvis yeah, button? And he was like, Jarvis was a totally different way of writing uh, up code. I. It was really interesting how he how he told me that it was it was done. Well, I can confirm that I tried to load Jarvis on a very, very old install about a year ago that I had, and uh, it hadn't been updated. So I'm like, okay, I know how to load Swift without it auto-updating. I did that. People were riding all over the screen, and my elevation uh, count to the Tron bike got reset to zero. <laughs> so there's no going back. Right, so she writes. Well, it just proves time travel, you know. There, there, no good thing can come of time travel, either forwards or backwards. Um, normally, we'd be having an instalment of our regular, what's become our regular coaching feature with Kevin Poulton right now. But actually, I'm going to have to hold this over because we pretty much have run out of time. Too much chat, fellas. Um, but I'll definitely resurrect Kevin for the next episode. Um, so, uh, time to say goodbye. Shane, what's, what's diverting you in coming days? Oh, look, everything's happening at the moment. As mentioned before, I've done the uh, the Flux Round 3 video. I've got the Dorito, well, the corn chip uh, trainer. We have, I've been doing some planking on a Wahoo desk. Uh, look, it's all happening. I am at 24-7 on this game from now through to Eurobike because as soon as we hit Eurobike, there's going to be a whole range of things to cover and to talk about and to think about and to discuss behind the scenes because there's just so much going on. There is just so much. So my YouTube channel is going flat out. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this this things are busy. Things are really busy, and it's great. Yeah, good. Good to hear. Good, 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 good to hear that. Nathan, how about you? There's a ton going on in the background. Um, we're really excited about Zwift Academy and things that are coming down the line for live broadcasting around that. We've been hammering uh, for months now on getting the workout, group workouts, live workouts uh, settled and who we're going to have on that. And it looks to be uh, launching really, really soon. I'll be in Long Beach actually next week uh, over at ZHQ for uh, some stuff to get that going. Uh, so, I mean, there's a, there's so much coming down the line. I think we're all kind of working on a little bit of a web show thing that, uh, we're looking to launch in the next 
two weeks. We should commit to to a lodge down this because we've been talking about it for ages, particularly on the podcast actually. But the three of us are going to be involved in something a bit more streamy and webby and videoy, and uh, so look out for that. It, it, it's definitely coming, isn't it, Nathan? Definitely. Yes, it definitely is. We are going to go live and talk about things together. That is going to happen. <laughs> so, and, um, so yeah, there's definitely a lot of planning going on in the background with that. Uh, it's full on. So Zoof Community Live is uh, all fire, all cylinders firing for sure. Good to hear. Um, well, for the next two weeks, you'll mainly find me slumped in front of a television watching young men ride around the French countryside. Uh, although I am actually just popping out to Girona uh, next week for a very short visit, happily on the Tour de France rest day, actually, um, to grab a bit of content for the Swiftcast, which I'll talk to people about when um, it's ready to go. Uh, As ever, fellas, thank you very, very much indeed for your time. Great to hear you. Great to get that kind of global perspective on on what's happening with the tour in your in your respective countries. I think uh, that that's one of the benefits of talking on a, a regular basis to people in other parts of the world. Very interesting to hear it. I hope listeners agree. Thanks very much indeed. Thanks Nathan. Thanks Shane. Talk to you next time. Cheers, yeah. boys. On the Zwiftcast is proud to be an official community partner of Zwift. So, what does that mean to you as a listener? It means that while Swift provides support for us to try to make the highest quality content we can, they also guarantee our editorial independence, which basically means they don't interfere with what we say or how we say it. Thanks to Swift for that, and thank you for listening. See you next time.